0: Please be seated, and as you're seated, uh, take your copy of God's word and turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We do have Bibles out in the foyer, and so if you'd like to follow along in your own scripture and you don't have one, please grab one when you come in. You can grab one right now, they're available for you there to uh, keep if you need. Um, We are going in a series through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Nine qualities that are described in Galatians five twenty two nine qualities which God develops in His people as they as they um, are united to Christ by faith um, described here as I read them but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control and today as we come uh, as we work our way through that we come to the fruit of peace and God's uh, developing peace in the life of his people and that is what leads us to Philippians chapter 4 and God's word to us today follow along with me Philippians 4 4 rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand Think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word today. We ask, Lord, that you would grow in us the fruit that you want to see. We've been asking that this whole series. We continue to ask it, Father, that we be people of peace, people who work for peace, and that, God, we would do it all to your honor and glory. This is a spiritual work, Lord. It's not one that comes through uh, just a cold reading, or it's not one that comes from a cold speaking, but it's one that comes as your Holy Spirit works these things into our life and heart. And so we ask, Lord, work them into our life and heart. Father, speak to those who are worried speak to the anxious. Father, help us to consider our lives and what we do out of this. And so God, we ask you for your help in this. We ask of your grace, and we're thankful that as we do pray, we know you'll do it because of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, the fruit that we spoke about was joy. And in addressing joy, we talked about things like depression or sadness and and what the gospel gives um, is a rooted joy for our, for our lives. Well, this week, uh, there's something that I think that we hate even more than that sadness and that depression that hits, and that is anxiety and worry, right? We do not like that lack of peace, whether it's something we're feeling internally or whether it's some sort of a conflict that we have with somebody else. You know, these are the things that keep us up at night, these are the things that keep us from going to social events. These are the things that cause our heart to race. These are the things that cause us to lash out at others, even taking on destructive behaviors just to find some bit of relief. We don't like that. We don't like waking up. We don't like the feeling that we won't make it, that we're going to lose some, something or someone close to us. We don't like that isolation. We don't like the animosity and the conflict with others. This is a spirit. This is a fruit of the spirit that we know that we need. Peace. Now, how do we get there? As we've addressed in this series, this is a fruit of the spirit. This is something that God builds in his people as they are united by faith to Jesus. This is something that God grows in his people um, as they're grounded and rooted in him. And so what we want to look at today is how does God do that? How do we dwell in it? How do we invest ourselves into what he has already done? Now, our passage today exhorts us, commands us in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Now, as we come to that verse, we realize... That it has a context. We, we, we love this verse. Maybe a lot of you have chosen this as sort of a life verse, something that you keep going back to. We, we want to be aware of its context within the, the, the whole letter to the Philippians. The letter of the Philippians was written um, at once to talk about the great hope of the gospel. And in that way, it is called uh, the Epistle of Joy. Because, you know, for a lot of the letters in the New Testament, this one exudes with joy, exudes with hopefulness, exudes with optimism for the future. But it's also dealing with an important subject within the life of the congregation that received it. And that was a conflict that they were facing. You can see a picture of it in verse 2, Philippians 4, 2, where he writes, I entreat you, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And then verse 3, he gives some instruction to the leadership of the church to help the women work through that. And that's because this conflict, which was going on, was uh, creating uh, disruption throughout the whole uh, church that, that was meeting in Philippi. And so the letter gives a theological perspective, which helps believers live together in unity, but it also gives some very practical um, words about uh, living in peace with one another. And we can see actually some of them in our passage today. Uh, Verse four talks about rejoicing in the Lord rather than looking at differences which are between people or the the source of conflict and, and focusing so much on those. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. See what God has done. Focus your attention, your heart on that. It has a great ability of, of creating, of resolving conflict between people if we focus on what we hold together. Verse 5 talks about being reasonable. Let your reasonableness be evident to all instead of digging our heels in, instead of demanding that we get our own way, demanding that we get our own rights. You know, reasonableness indicates an ability to listen, to pay attention to others, to consider that maybe we don't always. Have um, the, you know, that we can learn from others' perspectives and we can understand that others may have needs, and so we don't just dig our heels in. And then in verse six, deals with the main thrust we're hitting today is deal with your anxiety. What does he say? Do not be anxious about anything. And it's helpful to see in this context of conflict because often anxiety um, is the ground that conflict grows out of. Uh, maybe you've seen that happen in your life. You've uh, become very anxious or worried about something. And before you know it, you're lashing out over against someone else. Um, maybe it's a totally irrelevant thing, but you're so worried about this other thing that it's just led you with a with a short fuse. Or maybe there's a time that you felt threatened. Maybe you'd lose something important. Maybe a loved one or money or some sort of security. Maybe you've seen conflict grow out of that fear. And so these things happen and they happen quite a bit. We, we hurt people around us because of our anxieties. And that's why you know, these anxieties he's pointing here needs to be replaced with peace. You know, If we come to the end of verse 7 he, he shows where this goes, where we're aiming for and as he says in verse 7, to a peace that surpasses that surpasses all understanding you know you just love that expression it surpasses all understanding there's a peace that comes from God which we don't know how it comes it seems strange that we would hold this sort of peace given the context of what's going on and yet it is stronger than the things that we're experiencing at the time that's the kind of peace that we want so how do we get there Verse 6 shows us how we get there, right? Verse 7 is the end goal. Uh, verse uh, 6 is what we do. We've got to deal with our anxiety, and how do we deal with it? And he says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First point we want to look at today is, is prayer as the key of, of overcoming anxiety. Why does prayer make such a difference? It really points us back to one of the reasons why we have worry or anxiety to begin with. And part of it's because we think we have more control than we do, or we think we need more control than we do. We we think we can control our world. We think that we need to control it, and we begin. We can even begin to think that we have almost godlike powers for control, but we're not God. We don't have his power. We don't have his knowledge. And when we put ourselves at the center of the universe, thinking that we have more control than we do, we find more pressure than we can handle and less resources than we need. And so we begin to mull over inside of our mind the lack of resources that we have and the greatness of the challenges that we're faced with. It's often what leads us to our most self-destructive responses to worry, numbing ourselves, isolating ourselves, compromising ourselves. People turn to man-made religions to try to maybe control themselves or their environment, whether it's through a thick other religion or whether it's just through some sort of secular meditation, thinking that if we can control the environment or at least control the way that I feel inside, then things will be better. But there's something that it misses and something we're going to point to throughout is that even those things that they give a a minute of of, of comfort, they miss the pointing to the personal relationship that our concerns and our challenges um, help us to see that we need God, the personal relationship that we need with God. Our worries, our concerns point us towards those things. One thing anxiety can do is to create anger. I was thinking about, you know, the times that, that uh, we travel and, you know, we have an agenda. We, we want to leave at this time. We, we got to get there on that time. Maybe it's even just getting to church today, right? And so you, you get frustrated when you don't leave when you think that you should. And, and if just these kids would, would come along and get in order, then, then we could get there on time. And what do we end up doing? You know, that's where anger shows up and it manifests itself. The consequences of this shows up in broken relationships as we control others to get them to do what we want them to do. And in our desire for peace, we demand others to fall in line. We push them out of our lives. We increase conflict. We increase anxiety. And when the pressure point hits, that's the that's when we attack. And why? So we can have peace. And so all these things show us why it is important to pray as, an, as a solution to that worry. How does, pre, P, how does prayer lead to a peace that surpasses understanding? The first thing it does is it entrusts the matter to our sovereign God who has control. and entrusts the matter to a sovereign God who has control. We let our requests be made known to God. What are you anxious about? And what do you do with those things which you're anxious. God is supposed to be the first place that we go. Our our problems only multiply when we look inward. Our problems also multiply when we look at people around us as the problem that we have to simply control or to fix. Our problems multiply when we go to the lies of the world, the lies where the world says to find peace. But when we go to God, we put that situation into his hands. It's like a movement. I'm carrying it. I'm worrying about it, and I'm just taken off me and I'm putting it into his open hands who's ready to receive it right we start by bringing the problem to him who can do far more than we ask who can do far more than we imagine that's because we think about our own abilities I mean our our knowledge of what is is going on is so limited right we only have our little perspective of what's happening and by prayer we recognize that God knows everything God knows everything Even when we think about others, we we have a flawed understanding of what's going on in their lives. Very, very limited. We may see others as obstacles, but then we remember in prayer that, that God loves his one. They are his image bearers. They carry his image even now. We like to think that we know the way that things should go, the way that things should resolve. But as we go to God in prayer, we're reminded that he has a plan and a purpose for us. And for the world. And that's a good plan. It's a wise plan. But we will not find peace without God. The secular world cannot give peace. Right? If we don't believe that God is in control in all things, there really is nothing that can give peace. If we believe history has no meaning, that it isn't going anywhere, that everything is random, well then that is also the way we'd understand the situation that we're in right now. There's no reason for peace. No purpose, no direction, no guidance, and no one who's sovereign in it. There's no confidence outside of God that anything will work. Our future is questionable, and the best that we can try to do is to try to control it. If we believe that life is about survival of the fittest, that the only person that we can rely on is ourself, than we have ever reason to be anxious. That's because our future depends on our survival and our ability to win in our situation. But When we bring our concerns to God, we put our, hand, our situation in the hands of the one who can actually guide us, who can actually carry it. He's the one who gives spiritual help in that. Now, it's not that, that the prayer brings away all of our uncertainty, but it establishes us in the one who does have Certainty. And I think that's really important because sometimes we approach prayer as if, if you know, this is the way I can control my situation. If just I pray about it, it will always resolve in the in the way that I want it to. But prayer ultimately is entrusting ourselves, is entrusting our situation with our good and our wise God. He helps us see things we haven't seen. He helps us love in ways that we haven't loved. He helps us let go of our own agenda for the future and to take on his. Isaiah 26.3 reminds us of this, that God keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Because as we, we focus our minds on him, he keeps us. He establishes us. Another thing that prayer does is it helps us to see that God is already active. God has already been active. That's why in verse 6, when he says that we present, uh, let's see, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request before God, we recognize that God has already been active. He's already been active in our world. He's already been active in our lives. And we need to see that. And thankfulness and thanksgiving is one of the ways we do that. We should be looking at what has God done that we can thank him for? What has God done even in the situation I'm in? One of the great things that we thank him for is the salvation that he's given to us in Jesus. I mean, this really, this, this peace with God really is a foundation for personal peace. I mean, it is a foundation that we, we, we have to go through. Turn over to Romans 5.1, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, because it addresses it so powerfully when we talk about having a peace, you know, we need to remember that God has already done what's necessary in order to have that. Right? It's not something we've really got to work for. It's something that we enter into because he's given it to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, the Apostle Paul is writing this to the church and he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. So, I remind you here that peace starts with peace with God. That's why it's just fundamentally spiritual. Before we're going to have peace in ourselves, before we're going to have peace with others, we need to have peace with Him. And as we come to the Bible and the way it describes us, it reminds us we have. It reminds us of two big things. The big thing is we're way worse than we know. Firstly, way worse than we know in and of ourselves. And secondly, way more loved than we can imagine. We're way, way worse than we know. Our, our sin created conflict with God. Our sin deserves God's judgment. If there's ever anything to be anxious about, it is to come under the judgment of God. To come under the judgment of God with is judgment of hell. I mean, that, that's, that's a fearful thing. And, and the problem only grows when we realize that we don't have anything in ourselves to fix that problem. The sins are in the past. The offenses are in the past. We're totally at his mercy in order to forgive. And then to make matters worse, we keep on sinning. But if God was the only one who could do something, praise his name, he is the one who did do something. He made peace with us through the life and the death of Jesus for sinners. So if you look at Romans 5.1 again, You'll see how God did that, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, because that condition exists, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. You've been justified. You know, that means that through the work of Jesus on the cross, all of your sins were taken off of him, they were taken off of you, and they were put on him. And all of his righteousness, all of his goodness that was taken off of him, and it was put on to you. And so when God looks at you, he sees you as beloved in Christ, as one of his children, as totally accepted and beloved. That is the ground of peace that Jesus came to give his people. That's why he came. John sixteen thirty three says, Jesus says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How did he overcome? He overcame in his work on the cross. And so if you think about it, what is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to you? And that answer is hell. Eternal hell, separated from God, separated from his love, is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen. Everything else is much smaller in comparison with that. And when Jesus died, we remember that he took that worst thing off of you and he put it upon himself. Right? We deserved hell, but he took it upon himself so that that worst thing that could happen to us wouldn't happen to us. And more than just taking away the worst thing from us, he gave us the best thing. He gave us eternal life. A promise that we live forever with God in heaven where there is no sorrow or suffering. So our peace, that was purchased through his enduring conflict. He endured conflict. He bore our sin. He took it away. That's why Isaiah 9-6 Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. He's the one who established peace between God and his people. And so that thing, that thing that we are worried about, uh, the thing that we're worried about, is it going to work? Uh, the thing that wakes us up at night, we, we have to remember that even if it doesn't work out, We can have peace with God and a future with God. If things don't work out, we still know that we're right with God and that rightness extends forever. If you are in Christ, he will not punish you if something doesn't work out right. He doesn't hate you for your failures. It means that you don't need to have money to have meaning in your life. It means you don't have to have that other person's acceptance in order to be valuable. It means you don't have to perform flawlessly or get perfect grades to be loved. Your meaning comes from him. It also shows something about us in our suffering. Is that even in our suffering that, that, and, and the that we have, that God is pointing us towards a better future. And a future which he's established in Christ. He's taken hell away. He's given eternal life in Jesus Christ. You have peace with him. And so we bring our concerns to God. We begin by saying, God, thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for making me righteous in Jesus Christ no matter what happens. I know you already love me. I do not need to worry. I do not need my way. I can trust you. We can thank God for all things, for saving us in Christ. But we can thank him for other things too. We can uh, also thank him for how he has already provided for us in so many ways. God has given us so much. James uh, 1.17 talks about him being the source of every blessing that comes down to us. Every blessing for which we can give thanks. And he's shown so much kindness to us. He's caused the sun to rise and he's called the rain to fall. Uh, he's given us life. He's brought us in this time of history. He overlooks sin daily. Um, he puts breath in our lungs. Everything that we have... Every good thing that we have, it comes from his good hand, right? So we remember that. We thank him for that. We, we see that we're already in his love. But it, there's also something about thanking him for what he's already given to us. We begin, maybe to see, we begin to realize maybe God has given me some of the solutions to the problem that I'm facing. Maybe he's already given me the resources in order to deal with this. Maybe he's already blessed me so much in Christ and in my life that I don't have to have this conflict with this other person because I know that I already have enough. That's what Psalm 23 reminds us of, right? You know, God, the Lord is our shepherd. I have everything that I need. He's already provided that. And in thanksgiving, we recognize that. Again, ability to bring peace to the situation we're in. We can also thank God that he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, it reminds us of his wonderful love. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. You know, why do we pray? Why do we bring our concerns or requests? Because he loves you. He, he's concerned for the things you're concerned about. He's concerned in your trial, in your suffering. He wants to hear those things, and he wants, to, he wants to carry them for you. It's interesting, verse 8, right after that, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Isn't it often those times of anxiety and worry that we leave ourselves vulnerable to the devil's attacks? doubt to his accusations and God says let me carry that anxiety for you if we jump back to Philippians 4 especially verses 8 and 9 we see two more things that are so important for this fruit of peace to grow one of the ways we add to the worries of our life even the conflicts of our lives is by setting our minds in places where they don't need to go You can see that in verse 8, where he gives this exhortation. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's because as our minds are consumed with the worries of this life, as our minds are consumed with the evils of this world, as as our minds are consumed with lust or, or, or greed, you know, it just creates a nest that anxieties are planted and hatched. You know, how much of our own worry comes from our own thoughts being fed by the things we take in, by the, by the thoughts we let just ruminate inside of our minds, the accusations that come from Satan himself, would you just dwell upon? But it's instead really important for us to think, as he says here, of the things that Jesus Christ has done for his people. The goodness of, the, the good things that God has given to us in the world. Whatever is honorable to God. I love Second Timothy 1.7. It says, God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And as we remember that, you know, that is what God has given to us. When We're dwelling on those things. You know, that's the thing that, that pushes out fear. But these evil things, as they continue to grow inside of our minds, it just generates more and more fear. But the Spirit of God casts out that fear. It gives us love instead. It gives us self-control so that we can go out and we can go uh, love others, minister to others, love God, and, be, and serve him in the power that he provides. There's a great danger in idolatry, in thinking that something will make us really happy if we just serve it enough. I mean, it may not be a little figurine that we pray to or give homage to, but there are things inside of us we think, if just I have enough of this— I'll be happy if just I have his love, if just I have this money, if just I have this position, if just I have this power. Whatever it is, we think if we have that thing, that we'll be really happy. And then when that one thing is threatened, what happens? That's when the fear comes out. And that's when the anger erupts, right? Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 6 in verse 31, Jesus gives a, a pretty lengthy talk about it. I'll show one little part. But he recognizes the power of the desires in us and the idols that we hold on to, that we think that they will give us security, that they will make us happy, and that if, if we don't, um, that, that the things we'll, we'll do in order to hold on to them. And he says in verse 31, Matthew 6, 31, he says, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? So there's an anxiety that comes in these things and he says, for the Gentiles or unbelievers, uh, that secular world, they seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So the question he's getting to is when people have these idols that they serve and they worship, they think, if just I have that, I'll be secure. If just I have that, I'll be happy. He says the world goes after all these things. They go after them, they'll compromise themselves, they'll compromise their integrity, they'll, they'll hurt other people in order to get those. But what does he say in verse 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His point is, entrust yourself to God. Those idols that you think if you just have them, they'll serve you, they will not. They'll just demand more and more from you. They'll create more and more anxiety as you're afraid that those things are going to be taken away. But he says, seek first God's kingdom. Put your cares before God. Pray about them. Do what's right. You know, will your anxiety keep you from obedience? Or will you pray and obey, seeking his kingdom first? Will you tell the truth even though you know or you wonder how the truth will affect you if just it comes out? will you give to those in need even though you're worried about your own money? Will you honor the Lord's day even as you're worried about your work? Will you take the risk to build a family even as you're nervous about rejection? We can go on and on about the things that we're worried about we don't do in obedience to God. And Jesus says, seek my kingdom first. These things will be established for you. And then coming back to Philippians, so first we we looked at two other things to consider with peace. One is what are we thinking about? Verse nine goes on to address the question, what are we doing? What are the habits that are part of my life? The apostle Paul says here, What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We need practices that are that ground us in peace. Praying is, is so critical. That regular conversation, that regular relationship with God, Bible reading, hearing from God, right? But it's also avoiding certain practices which are harmful to peace, which create worry, create anxiety. Here are some things that I think do that, at least maybe for me. Too much time in the news rather than in God's word. Remember, God is sovereign over history. Secondly, is scrolling through social media so much, right? Just creates comparisons, creates worries, and then too much time watching violent television. All these things create fear, they create discontent. These are things that, that work against peace. So think about your habits. Are your habits those things that tend to peace, or do they work against that? All right, the last thing we want to look at, a third point, is that we're not just looking then. We talk about peace and as a fruit, not just internal things, but also external peace, peace with others, right? That peace with others comes, it's greatly aided when we're at peace with God and at peace within ourselves with him, right? We need to create peace, right? That's what God did in reconciling us to himself through Jesus, Right? And that then becomes a basis for helping others. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he said, peace with God is the foundation of peace with ourselves and with our brethren. The scripture goes on and on uh, talking about that peace that we need. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Psalm 133 says how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Jesus in Matthew five twenty three and 24 shows how important peace between others is when he says that if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember there that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so as we deal with the challenge of living at peace with all, we have to see how we add to that conflict when we're not at peace with God and others. But we see God has provided everything I need. He's provided the best things. He's taken away the greatest fear I could ever have. He's given me life, in fact. And so now, you know, out of that strength, out of that security, now I go live at peace with others. Does it mean I ignore things that I shouldn't ignore? No, but it means I dress them in peace. That's a peace that comes from God. Now, I don't think you can be a forgiving, peace-loving person like the Bible describes unless you know the forgiving, peacemaking nature of God, right? Without God, all we have is retaliation. Without God, who's a forgiving God and and, and who um, is perfectly just, um, if we don't have God there, all we have is justice, a demand for perfection, Perfection from others, perfection in ourselves, that creates conflict, that creates uh, discontent, that creates self righteousness. But we know that we have been forgiven by God, that He has created peace with us. We see the world differently. We see how that fruit manifests itself. Now, it's not easy to live with that peace. You know, we live in a sinful and fallen world, there are genuine threats, we have our limits. We know those weaknesses. But as I look at Philippians 4, 6, it's just an encouragement to me to keep bringing those worries to God. It's not like he's saying in it that, you know, that once you get a grip on this, you'll never be anxious again, right? He says, don't be anxious about anything. The, the, the idea here is that, you're, you know, points of anxiety, points of worry are gonna come up. Points of conflict in your life, they are going to keep coming up. That's the nature of the world that we live in, but what do we do? With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be no- made known to God. There's a pattern this is setting, and it's a repeated pattern. We keep going over and over and over to God. We keep going to Him. It's not settled. The trials that we have right now um, aren't the same as the ones that we had in the past. And the ones we're going to have in the future aren't like the ones we've had now uh, in the past or the ones that we have right now. Right? Um, certainly we're going to be beset with worries. We're anxious people in an anxious world. And yet even in our weaknesses in this area, we can keep on praying. I don't think we, you know, get it, again, those anxieties, those points of worry are not going to disappear, at least not until heaven. But that's that's not a bad thing because it keeps us rooted in the one who can give us life. It keeps us rooted in the one who calls out for covenant relationship with him. And then in that, we explore his majesty in so many different ways. We get to know him in so many different ways. We see his sufficiency in so many ways. And he receives the honor and the glory. And we keep finding that he is sufficient. As the hymn says, like a river glorious, it's God's perfect peace. over all victorious in his bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. God's peace grows deeper as we draw to him in our worries. So the big application here is not to get rid of your anxieties, not to worry you have too many worries, but to bring your anxieties, bring your worries to God. Learn to seek him in there. And in that, you'll learn to worry a little less, to sin a little bit less, to have a deeper relationship with God, to have better relationships with others, to worship him more fully. You'll find that he is sufficient. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us in our worries. And as we have them, not to move away from you, but to draw near to you in prayer. Father, to find you sufficient, to find the peace that surpasses understanding. We're thankful, God, that you have made a way of peace through Jesus. We're thankful for what you've already provided for us. You've given us everything we need. And so we ask you, Lord, help us to live in peace with others. Help us even to make peace with others. And that as we live in peace, God, that we'd be witnesses to your peace in a world that is anxious, in a world that is struggling. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, in whose name we pray. Amen.